you're getting close. 27 years? 27 years? So I started, we started the church when I was eight. Wow, it's just so weird to say 27. I don't even believe it when I say it. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Tim, and to our guests, thank you so much for being here. I have the privilege of preaching God's Word today, and we're going to be in the book of John. And so, before we get there, we'll be John 12, so you can be turning there, but before we get there, a couple, couple quick things I want to run past you. First one is, um, if you're interested in baptism, we have a date for that, also for child dedications, we have a date for that as well, but I do know, I heard from someone this morning, they would like to be baptized, but our link isn't working, so if you would like to be baptized, just come see me this morning, and we'll get that link fixed this week, so you can get signed up, no problem, okay, but if you're having a problem doing that, come see us, all right, so we look forward to that, and then also just want to make note, um, we've been in a season as a church, for those of you who are new this morning, where we've been walking through affirmations of, of two two of our men, Austin Williams and Bobby Hamlet. And so we've been walking through that season. Just want to thank you, church, for your input um, in the affirmation process. I'm here this morning to, to let you know that we have, we are, as of this moment, we have affirmed Austin Williams and Bobby Hamlet to be elders here at Trinity Community Church. Yeah. Um, we will officially be installing them in two weeks' time, so on May 14th, and so uh, look forward to that, all right? More I could say on that, but we've got a lot to get done this morning, and so uh, let's, let's open our Bibles, and uh, let's dive into God's Word. Um, you know what, let me just pray now, feels appropriate. Pause and pray. Lord, would you help? Lord, as we come to your word here in the book of John and all that's taking place. Lord, there's, there's so much taking place. We, we don't have the time this morning to cover it all. So help me to skip what I need to skip. Help, help me to linger where I need to linger. And be at work in all of our hearts, believers and unbelievers alike, Lord. Be at work in our hearts. Lord, that you would take both believer and unbeliever, and bring them before you, the King, in worship of you. Lord, there's a crowd we're going to be hearing about here in this passage. There was a crowd there that day on the first Palm Sunday. So many of them had no idea who it was they were waving those palm branches to. They had no idea the significance of the moment. And here we are today. And sometimes in our own hearts, we have no idea what we're doing. And we just want to confess that and recognize that. Lord, make yourself known to us yet again through your word. You're revealing yourself through your word this day to this church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday, well, yearly, it rolls around, and we're always in a series, and so we, we 
typically stick with our series and just desperate, just been wanting to for years. Let's just pause the series. And I know we've paused the Samuel series many times. Some of you are wondering, will we ever be done with Samuel? Um, We will. Uh, We will. We will get done. And uh, I think we will be done uh, the end of May. Is that right? End of May? We'll be done soon. All right? And we have a plan for what's next. We, we have a couple sermons on the, the local church, and then we'll roll into the book of Titus. And we have some reasons for that. We'll be explaining in the weeks to come. But just kind of notate that. We're going to be going to Titus. Some of you are going, whew, good, short book. <laughs> uh, we'll spend about a year and a half in Titus, and then... <clears throat> But I wanted to, to pause the Samuel series because I feel like as a church, we need, we need some moments together. And so we've titled, this is a little mini series. When you think about it, there's a, it's a three sermon series, if you will, three services. Overall, it's titled One. This morning, we're going to talk about the one life. This Friday is our Good Friday service. I want to invite you to Good Friday service, seven to eight o'clock. All right, where we will talk about the one death. One week from today is Easter. On Easter Sunday, we will talk about the one resurrection. Okay, I just want to encourage you Friday, Sunday, not only be here, but invite folks to be here with you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, many of you know this story, this episode, if you will about Palm Sunday, Um, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, You know the story enough. If you have children, you know the story enough to tell the story. You know the details of the story. But what we want to do this morning is we want to unpack that um, and, and, and kind of peel the onion. What's going on here in this episode? So we begin in John chapter 12. Um, verse, verse number 12 and 13. It says this, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So, <laughs> it, it writes this like, Of course, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So we're just going to dive right in here. I've got six points for us this morning. I seriously doubt we're going to get to all of those, but let's see what we can do. Number one, the one life. The one life. <laughs> Thanks, John. You and me, we'll be here till <laughs> who knows when. Uh, was that John or Mark? Mark? Mark. Thanks, Mark. You and me, Mark. Maybe John will join us. <laughs> The one life. Here's the problem. When we're not preaching through books of the Bible and we're just dropping in here in the middle, chapter 12, the problem is we don't know where we're at in the book of John. And we need to get our bearings on this one life. Where are we in John's gospel? Well, first thing we need to note is all four of the gospels. Now, you may be new here. When we say gospel, what is that? We sang the gospel song earlier. What is that? Well, it was definitely the lyrics of that song, but the gospel in the original language is the euangelion. It's where we get 
this idea, good news. So the gospel is simply the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, when we talk about the gospels, we're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tells the summary story of the life of Jesus, who is the good news, Okay, so that's what, when we say, all right, the Gospels, I'm talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When we talk about the Gospel, we're talking about the good news of Christ, that he came and he lived and he died and he rose from the grave and so much more. Okay, so here's the thing about this episode, Palm, what we call Palm Sunday, or the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. All four of the Gospels cover this episode. Which should tell us immediately something. Wow, this is, this is big deal stuff. Like all four of the gospel writers, we need to, this needs to be recorded. And uh, it's here that the gospels begin to slow down. The narrative starts to slow down. And the details begin to increase. Have you noticed good writers when they're writing, when they start to get to the point of the book? The narrative slows down and the details increase, right? It's just good writing. John is now slowing down and he will continue to slow down and add details the closer and closer we get to the cross because it's the cross. That's the reason the gospels were written. And he should slow down. It's why he wrote. Everything else prior to these moments has been building up to these moments. So where are we in the book of John? Well, it's time for Pentecost in Jerusalem. Pentecost, what is that? Well, it was a yearly celebration for the Jews to celebrate their delivery from Egypt. Their ancestors had been delivered. That's the whole Moses episode where God raises up a deliverer in Moses and he miraculously frees his people from Egypt, from slavery, from Egypt. And now, yearly, they celebrate Passover. There's more I could tell you about that. You can read about it in Exodus, Genesis, Exodus. It means the exit. They exited uh, Egypt, and God delivered them. Well, Passover was this celebration of that delivery, that deliverance. And it was a very big deal. In a small scale, we talk about our Independence Day. July 4, right? You know, like light up some fireworks. This is a big deal. You would, as a Jew, make your way. You would travel on foot to Jerusalem for the sake of purifying, for the sake of sacrifice. Well, there's a few different people as it relates to this episode, um, a few different groups, if you will, who are responding differently uh, to what's going on in Jerusalem towards this one life, all right? First, some are interested. They're curious. Let's check him out. We've heard about this guy. We've heard that he heals, that he has raised Lazarus from the dead. Who is this one life? Then others, they're convinced that he is the one life to lead them and deliver them um, out, of, out of their current tyranny. And so they come to meet Jesus. Others are there. I believe there are some who want to worship him, this one life. And then, fourthly, there are, there are religious leaders who are disgusted. Uh, they hate him. 
And they're a part of the group who's saying, we need to eliminate this one life. Now, at this time, Jesus had drawn away from the crowds, and so there was this stir in Jerusalem among these four different crowds. Is he coming? Will he be coming to Passover? Will that one guy, will the one life be coming? So let's read about that. We're going to go backwards to chapter 11 to help us out with the context, what's going on. We're in verse 54, chapter 11 says this, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, so he had, he had gone away, because it wasn't yet the time for him, uh, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, all right, so that's where we're at. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. That's what I'm saying. That's what they would do. Travel to Jerusalem. That's what's going on. They're looking, they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, which is in Jerusalem, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? The reason they're asking that, will he come? Because the people knew there was, the religious leaders want to kill him. So will he come? It's an appropriate question. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So he's no longer in the open. Why? Well, because they want to kill him and it wasn't time for his death. He had hidden away, if you will. But then in chapter 11 here, it tells us that he comes to Bethany. All right, Bethany, and you have to read that on your own, but Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. So you're just thinking, right? It's a walking culture. You, there's this buzz in Jerusalem, crowds of people coming to Jerusalem. Oh, we heard Jesus is in Bethany. Let's go check him out. These four different crowds. So then we come to chapter 12, verse one. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. Lazarus, the guy who, got, who was raised from the dead. Well, it says that, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Verse 2, so they gave a dinner for him there. And so at this dinner, you have Mary, you have Martha, Lazarus, you have the disciples, right? It's here, and you can read about that in the first eight verses here. It's here that Mary will take her ointment, and anoint Jesus, right, with very expensive perfume, which really makes Judas angry. Because he wants to take care of the poor, supposedly. All right? That's where we're at with this one life. When we just drop in here. Verse number nine. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. All right, so they're coming out of Jerusalem to Bethany, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. We heard about this guy, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death. Poor Lazarus, right? Like, wow, I just died. I want to take my life again. Because on account of him, Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Believing is a key word, all right, in the book of John in particular. The whole book 
John's purpose of writing is that we might believe in Jesus Christ. Don't have time, could point that out to you in his um, gospel. Would encourage you, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're of, those cr- of the crowd that's just kind of curiously coming this morning to kind of check him out, John's a great book for you to read. So I encourage you to do that. So this one life has created quite a stir. You got to imagine the buzz that's going on around this. Passover, it's yearly. But here's the thing. You've been doing Passover all your life. This Passover was profoundly different. This was a thing this year. Do you you think he's coming? Oh, wait, he's out there at Bethany. You want to go? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Verse 12 gives me the chills. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And that is what happens when the one life shows up. He creates that stir, and he still does so today. Some are here this morning curious about him. Some are here this morning wanting to worship him. And some are here this morning, and you hate him. Some wanted to and want to control him to be the king that they want him to be, while others can't stand the thought of him being king at all. That's what this one life does, then and now. Secondly, the one king. So he's coming into Jerusalem. Why? Why is he coming to Jerusalem? Well, on one level, he's simply coming because it's Passover, He's a Jew, and that's what a Jew would do. You go to Passover. But on another level, we could say he's coming to Jerusalem because it's divine, because this is prescribed, because this is preordained, meaning this was the day he was born for, Passover. He's sovereign. He's the king, and he will go to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is where he's supposed to be. But what's more, why? 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 Because that, well, he must die. He comes to Jerusalem to die. And to die that you and I might live. Verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This Hosanna, it means salvation. Salvation be to him. Now we need to understand what's going on here. Because a lot is going on here. What are the people's actions saying? What are they proclaiming? Well, they're proclaiming that this is the one. He's our king, but Here's the thing. Here's the problem, if you will. They wanted a king on their terms. They don't want the one king. They want a king. So here we are pulling out the palm branches, and we need to understand that what's being said by this, waving the palm branches might be somewhat similar to you and I waving a flag. It's a moment of nationalism. They're saying, well, for us today, it'd be like saying, Jesus for president 2024. 
He's our guy. This is our king. And we can see they are quite passionate about that flag that they're waving. And that's a good thought, right? Jesus is king. That's good, right? And they're acknowledging that. But no, they, they're acknowledging the fact that he's to be the king that they want him to be, not the king that he is. They were right. He's the king. They were right. He is the hope of salvation. But they were wrong. They wanted a king on their own terms. So Jesus was not their hope of salvation from sin and death. That's not what they were celebrating. In their minds, he was the king that was to be their hope of salvation from Rome. They're looking for, and this is this, this, this waving of the palm branches and this nationalism that's coming from is, is this, this idea of military leader moment. Yes, we finally, we got our guy. He's the one. They had hope in Jesus as king. We believe, we're going to take that word from John. We believe you can lead us. You can overthrow our enemy, Rome. And they didn't realize that Christ came to be a bigger king. The one king. He came to deliver them from a bigger enemy than Rome. Their ultimate enemy, an eternal enemy enemy. And so they were right. He's the king and they were wrong. I've used this quote before. I posted it recently to Facebook. It's a favorite D.A. Carson quote, so not sorry to use it again. Okay, here we go. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent us an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. Sometimes I get concerned in our day. I, you've heard me say a number of times, I love America. I'm an American. But I don't love some of the nationalism that's become a part of the church in that sense. I, I, I want to say I am a Christian who happens to be American. But I'm Christian first. And that's good news. The gospel is good news if you're living in China and you're seeking to be a Christian. You don't have to come to America to then be saved. Praise God. I'm a Christian who happens also to be an American. I love America, but my love for America should never exceed my love for our God. Praise be to God. The gospel is bigger than any country. It's bigger than America. It's good news. Some would say, what's wrong with loving God and country? Answer, nothing. Until love of country becomes bigger than love of God. When politics and red versus blue and my side of the aisle and disdain for those who disagree with me or disdain for those who are not Americans living in America, 
When any of that overrides our Bibles, we have lost our way. So Lord, help us. It's why a political savior or economic savior or a military savior aims too low. Even the prosperity gospel, which appears to aim so big, right? All you have to do is just believe, name it and claim it, and it's yours. That's aiming way too low. This just wants to make Jesus to be a puppet king, to do our will. That's the problem of the people here in John. Christ came to be a bigger king with a better gospel than health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. Christ came to do more than deliver you from day-to-day enemies. He came to deliver you from your ultimate enemy, which is sin and death. So they were aiming low. They had heard about Jesus. He does miracles. He heals. My goodness. He recently raised Lazarus from the dead. Let's hitch ourselves to him. We have a king. We have a military hope. Look, if he can raise from the dead, who's going to be able to defeat us? And they were right, but they were wrong. They were aiming low. And so Jesus tells them, his disciples, go get me a war horse, right? And he say that, he go get me a war horse. And Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a white horse because we all know the imagery, the guy on the white horse, he's the king. And this is all about military. No, he doesn't do that, right? Go get me a donkey. Get me a donkey. And he rides into Jerusalem. Now think about this. They're, they're expecting war horse, Go get me a donkey. He wasn't the one they wanted him to be, but he was the one they needed him to be. Do you want a Jesus that you want or a Jesus that you need? There's a big difference. Number three, the one the world goes after. Verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it, just as it's written. By the way, Jesus, does he need a donkey? Why? It's a two-mile walk. Everybody else is going to walk. Most of them have walked out two miles to then walk two miles back in. Why the donkey? He's making a statement. Doesn't need a donkey. Doesn't need a war horse. But we're thinking war horse, I'll take a donkey I will humble myself. I'm not the king that you want me to be. Just as it's written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So it was prophesied by Zechariah 500 years prior. That's where that quote came from. His disciples did not understand these things at first. Well, you think? They're scratching their heads. Wait, what? A donkey? didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So they had an aha moment. So he's been hiding out. Now he comes to Bethany. The crowds gather. There's palm branches. Hosanna. 
salvation cry, deliver us. We have a donkey. He's going to Jerusalem where religious leaders want to kill him. The disciples are scratching their head. We don't understand. So the crowds are flocking to this one life, and the religious leaders respond like this, verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. I mean, don't you? It's just helpful. The details of beginning. Why are they going out there? Well, they were going to meet the guy who, who raised the other guy from the dead. I'm going. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So the one the world goes after. I love what the Pharisees are saying here. All right? That... That, that last sentence is key. That it, it's like the, fa- the Pharisees are saying, this has gone too far. The world has gone after him. Now, is the entire world going after What are they saying here? It's very similar to the sermon we preached a number of weeks ago about the nations. It's not, it's not this nation and this nation and this nation. It's the peoples. It's the, what's the next line? Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. The world, the the non-Jew is coming out here to see who is this man, this one life to worship him. And I see irony here. As the religious leaders, the leaders of God's people, Jewish leaders, are in dismay. Why? Because non-Jews are seeking after him. We've got to put a stop to this. And the Pharisees realized we have a bigger problem than we thought. This thing's going global. They have no idea what's coming. Like Acts hasn't been written yet because Acts hasn't happened yet. You talk about going global. And from the one life, There will be some who go to Bolivia this year. Casa de Esperanza. From, from the one life. This, is, this one life goes global. The one the world goes after. From, it's because of the one life. The clubs will be going to India this year. The Lord wills, right? Because of the one life, the Shropshires will be headed back to Senegal this year, Right? Because of the one life, the hamlets are headed back to Thailand for a couple weeks this year to do ministry among people that they, they, were, they were living with and a part of and to care for them. Listen, why, why do we do all these? Why do we talk about Uganda? Why do we send money? It's because of this one life. Number four, the one hour. Possibly my favorite point this morning. Verse 21. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come. 
for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, we've probably read that, right? If you've been around the church, <laughs> who knows how many times. But remember the Gospels? Jesus, as he's ministering to people, he would heal someone. And what would he say to them? Don't tell anyone. Wait a minute. Don't tell him. Like, I was blind, and now I see. Don't tell anyone. How am I? Right? He would heal demoniacs. What would he tell them? Don't tell anyone. Why? Because his time wasn't yet. Now is the time. Oh, it's a shift in the life of Christ. Now's the time. Let's read. It's going to be a larger section, so hang with me here. Verse 24. Let's read it carefully. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's the truth of the cross right there. You know why you're here this morning? Because it bore much fruit. Your evidence of that verse. Praise be to God. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. <laughs> That's for sure. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He was making a reference. He will be lifted up on a cross. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you be lifted up to die? You, we, we heard that this was going to be a forever thing. We want, it, we want you to be our king forever. Who is the, how can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. While walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, what? Believe in the light. Earlier in John, what? I am the light of the world. Right? So believe in Christ that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid themselves from them. And by the end of that week, Jesus was crucified. So he says, now's the time. Think about that for just a moment. What he's saying is that all the other times were not the time. This is the time. This is the hour. What, what hour is it? The hour, literally, that all of creation has been groaning for since Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. All the time prior 
to this moment of time has been waiting for this moment of time. This one moment of time that sinners are in great need of, this is the time. And God provided that one moment of time is why you are here this morning. This moment of time that he's talking about. Why are you here? Because of that moment in time where Christ said, now's the time. Now's the time. It's the reason why we sing. Why do we sing? What are they doing? Why are they clapping? Why is there people shouting? Because of this moment in time. This one right here. All the Old Testament. We're talking thousands of years. I don't even know how many moments of time that would include. All those previous moments of time were pregnant, waiting for this moment in time. Now's the time, Jesus is saying. All the prophets who spoke of the coming Christ, now's the time. The priests, the kings, God in flesh, Christ, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life for this moment of time. It's the moment of all moments. It's the moment for which he came. And Jesus is saying, now's the time. What's that moment? It's his death on the cross to redeem, to save sinners. The entire Old Testament is, no, not yet. Not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, for thousands of years. Then all of a sudden, Jesus said, now. Oh. And it is that one moment of time for the one life to be glorified. I'm going to skip the next point. It is the one glorified. It's verses 24 and 25. You can study that on your own time. I want to jump down to the one prayer, cover it briefly. As a matter of fact, the worship team can join me. I will submit to us, verse 27, no greater prayer has ever been prayed. Thank you, God, for this moment of prayer. Let's think about what Jesus didn't pray for. Jesus didn't pray for prosperity. Thank the Lord. He didn't pray for an easy life. He didn't pray for this trial to skip by him. He says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? And his answer to that is, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What purpose is he talking about? He's talking about the purpose for the one life was the one death on the cross that we might be saved. It, we, he's talking about the very purpose. We will celebrate this Friday, Good Friday, 7 o'clock. He went to the cross and now he is saved 
some of you, and he is saving others of you, and in every salvation, he is glorified. He is glorified. So John 12, again, verse 36. While you have the light, believe the light, that you might become sons of light. And so I just want to encourage us this morning. You might be here this morning and you're among the curious crowd or even perhaps the angry crowd. I just want to appeal to you while you have the light. Believe in the light. Believe in the light. Yeah, you believe in Jesus who is the light of the world. Say, how do I do that? Well, we repent of our sins. You can do that right where you sit. God, forgive me. For my sins, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ. That what he's accomplished for you on the cross, that he's taken your place, he received the punishment for sins that you and I deserved. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for that prayer, that one prayer. I want to thank you for that one moment. Lord, here we are now. We respond to that prayer, to that one moment, to the one life, to the one king. And we do so that the one might be glorified. So here are from our lips, our voices, our singing, our hearts to worship you. You be glorified. And we just want to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've accomplished on our behalf. Lord, thank you that we could be numbered in the crowd there in Revelation who comes together also waving palm branches. Lord, in eternity, crying out, salvation belongs to our God. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.